0: Welcome to The Great Trials Podcast, where you get a behind the scenes look at America's greatest trials with the trial lawyers who tried them.
1: So I think another reason why the jury decided to compensate this family um, with this number is because of the husband. He was also, he's also a CIA agent and the love that he had for his wife and what he was doing for her now came through
0: louder than anything. Please rise, part is now in session. All right, well, welcome to the Great Trials Podcast. This is Steve Lowry along with Yvonne Godfrey. Yvonne, uh, how are you doing today?
2: So I am good, except one of the things, um, depending on when somebody's listening to this episode, we're still in the middle of the coronavirus, yes. lockdown, whatever. Um, and I, we are fortunate that we can do a lot of our work from home, but I think the flip side of it has been that everything is scheduled. Everything is scheduled. Every little phone call and everything has been scheduled. So my past few days have been like really busy, like yeah, really yeah. packed, um, which is not, I know that's a good problem to have for people compared to people who are out of work and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it is, it is funny. I've got uh, depositions this week, next week. I mean, it's, everything's moving forward. Uh, we're just doing it all by video. So uh, it, its uh, it's an interesting time. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I I mean, our listeners should know how casually you're dressed for this video.
0: I know, exactly. I was going to mention that not only you, Yvonne, uh, and Katie Bertram, our our guests, are both uh, dressed very well, dressed professionally. I'm uh, in a t-shirt and uh, and, and dressed very uh, casually. Uh, I've I basically been wearing the same pair of pants for like the last two weeks. So, uh,
2: <laughs> I mean, me too, but that's what, that's how I gotcha. I got right. you today. <laughs> yeah, I lulled you right. into like a false sense of security.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, let me go ahead and introduce our guest today. I, I already mentioned her name, but it's uh, Katie Bertram. Katie is a fantastic lawyer from the Washington DC area. She's with the Bertram law group and you can look her up at her website of BLG DC c.com. Katie, how are you doing today?
1: I am doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be on. I love your podcast.
0: Oh, well, we, we really appreciate it. And we're so happy to have you on. And we're going to talk about just a uh, really fascinating case. But I also should mention, uh, you know, Katie's from the Washington DC area. Yvonne, you know, I grew up in the area. So it's, uh, it's nice to see somebody from, uh, from, from where I grew up.
2: Yeah, very cool. I, I like you guys could throw around some like DC knowledge. And I, I have been there twice once in eighth grade for my eighth grade trip. Um, oh, and then once for I, with GTLA. I was gonna
0: for, say like, I was there. I was there with you, Yvonne, when we, we went yeah. and we actually toured the Capitol. It was Yeah, that cool. was very
2: cool. It was very yeah. cool.
1: There you go. Well, if you come back, if you come back, we'll give you a special tour. So let me
0: know. (laughs) Sounds good. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, Katie, let me introduce everybody to you so they know who we're talking to. But as I said already, Katie is is the founding partner of the Bertram Law Group. I I need to mention a a number of accomplishments both she and her uh, law firm have had. Uh, Katie specializes in medical malpractice, and she is a Finalist. I guess I should I should find out, Katie. Your law firm is a finalist for the Medmal Law Firm of the Year by the National Law Journal for 2020. Have you heard? Uh,
1: yeah, we didn't. We didn't wait, We just uh, came in top five. But I'll, you know, I'll take top five. Yeah,
0: absolutely, <laughs> top five. So, so I mean, that's just a great honor. Uh, and then, it's, and I'm going to talk to you more about this, Katie, because I think this is just fascinating. But before you opened your law practice, you were the director of risk management at Georgetown University Hospital. So uh, you have seen both sides of uh, of medical malpractice cases.
1: Yes, yes. I was a defense lawyer first and then I went in-house at Georgetown. Okay. And I did that when my kids were um, little cause it was, a, you know, and it turned out to be just an absolutely fabulous experience. And then yeah. when I decided they were old enough for me to go back to practice, I missed being a trial lawyer. Um, a friend of mine said, Oh, come on the plaintiff side. And I never looked back. Yeah. I am definitely wired for the plaintiff side.
0: No, it's, uh, I mean, it, I think all of us who are on that side, it's just, uh, it, it just, I mean, I'm not saying I, I, I've got very good friends on the defense side, but, uh, but, you know, plaintiff side is where I have to be. And it's, uh, it's where my, my heart is.
1: I like to say that we uh, we weave the tapestry, and that they just try to shoot holes in it.
0: Right. So. That's right. That's right. Well, as we all, as I always give them a hard time is you know we've got to win all twelve jurors, they've only got to win one. So exactly. Our job is no. Much, I still have good
1: friends on the other side, but um, for me anyway, I really, really I get up and speed to work every day. I love it. Yeah.
2: That's so, awesome. But, I feel like I never I missed my chance. I never did defense stuff. So. <laughs> Um, it's like too late now. They don't want me now. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. We, we scooped you up too quick, Yvonne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, let me let me name a couple of other things. Katie has been named as a top 100 super lawyer in the Washington D.C. area. She's got an AV rating. Uh, she was named in 2017 as a Washingtonian top lawyer. Uh, she is an adjunct professor at American University's Washington College of Law and has been a commentator on CNN's Burden of Proof. Uh, she's also co-authored a section of a a surgical textbook on informed consent. Uh, She's a graduate of the University of Wisconsin and then went to Catholic University School of Law. And then I saved this for last because I want to ask you about it, Katie. She was the captain of the uh, national champion rowing team in 1986. That's so true. That's, just the other day. <laughs> do you still get out on the Potomac and, uh, um, and go so, rowing?
1: That's so funny. So I just re I just purchased a single, you know, that a little boat that you can row in by yourself. And so I am going to do it again. I haven't done it in a long time. I used to row at a Potomac boat club for a while, but. Hard to get all that done with litigation.
0: But, oh, it, there's yeah. there's no doubt. But I, I I do notice that when I go up there, I I like to run a lot, and I love to run along the Potomac. And you see a lot of uh, you see a lot of rowers out there.
1: Yeah, if like you exercise. ever get the chance to do it, it's an awesome sport. There's nothing like it.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, I I don't want to brag, but <laughs> I do have an indoor rowing machine <laughs> that yeah. I used as basically a clothes hanger until <laughs> this whole Corona thing started. Oh. So. Right. I'm basically ready for, to to challenge you to a head-to-head race. Yes, yeah. oh, yeah. oh
1: for sure, for sure. If you're on your indoor machine, you're ready. You know, just read, uh, just listen to Boys in the Boat when you're doing it. It's an awesome book. And okay, and you'll, you'll be over the top
2: about it. All right, all right. Because right now I'm just uh, listening to pop music, and um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's like overly peaceful. It's kind of yeah. a yeah. slog, anyway. It's good exercise
0: yeah well uh well very good um well I, katie before we talk about this case and this was a, a very tragic case and and, uh, and we're going to get into the facts but i did want to just give you a chance to talk about and we you, you mentioned already but how your experience in being the director of risk management for a, a, a hospital uh informs you helps you on handling medical malpractice cases
1: um, it's actually incredibly helpful because I understand how hospitals work, but I also understand where the pitfalls are and where they can have points where safety issues can come up. So it's extremely helpful. It's also um, a great background because I know what policies and procedures they should have in place. So I'm able to ask for those. And then I know you guys talk about the audit trail sometimes from the electronic record. And so that's also something that I think. Um, we really focus on audit trails and and things that go with the electronic record. And we're able to sort of cut through some of the stuff you get from the other side when they claim they don't have it or they don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I can cut right through that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, in in, in every uh, aspect of litigation, discovery is so important. And, you know, I know in in our medical malpractice cases that we've done, you know, you're trying to get all the documents, you're trying to get all the policies and procedures, and sometimes you'll have the other side tell you that they don't exist or aren't there. And so then you got to battle through that. But having somebody with your knowledge and experience, uh, I mean, you can call them out on that pretty quick, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, yeah. And also, I think it's been, I've been lucky in in some ways for clients because I can put together a settlement package pretty early um, and show the risk managers or the claims evaluators where the holes are. And so, we've been very, very fortunate for our clients in being able to resolve a lot of things before lawsuits have to be filed. So, I I think that also really helps because I know how they think and how they're going to evaluate it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, it, 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 it does make me wonder because I, I noticed not only the case we're about to talk about, but you've tried some other uh, just fantastic cases and got great verdicts. But I would imagine with your background that probably uh, uh, somebody on the other side of a medical malpractice case may not want to take a case against you to trial.
1: Well, knock on wood. We hope we hope that's true, because it's always better to try to settle it for the client. Right. Yeah. The one that we're going to talk about um, two months before we we hit another verdict in Virginia um, in another in another case. So, um, yeah, we had quite a good year last year.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll say. Uh, well, let's go ahead and get to it and talk about this case. This uh, the the name of the case is uh, Sheldon Hervey uh, uh, for his wife Nancy Clifford uh, Hervey versus uh, Virginia neurosurgeons PC. Um, I'm, yeah, PC, and um, uh, basically, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to explain the medicine here, Katie, and talk about what I, I, it looks like went wrong, but just feel free to correct me where I've messed it up. But um, from what I understand, Nancy Hervey was uh, 59 years old and she was a former CIA agent um, and, and just a, an amazing woman, but she was uh, uh, Went to a doctor from the neurosurgeons for uh, an elective lumbar laminectomy, uh, which basically is going to remove part of the lamina because of usually because of narrowing of the spinal canal and some pressure on the uh, uh, on the spinal column. Um, And so that's what the idea was. And he was coming from a posterior approach or coming from the back and um, and. I saw that there was part of the claim was that uh, this may not even have been indicated that there was no showing of, uh, of stenosis or, or narrowing or of uh, nerve root impingement. Um, But during this surgery at the uh, L2 to L5 area, I think it was L4, L5 is where it was actually uh, the laminectomy was going to be. The doctor um, basically lacerated the, um, iliac artery uh, which sits from a from if you're looking down at this at the spinal column and you're coming in from the uh, posterior approach it's on the other side of the spinal column so basically you've got to go all the way through the spinal column to lacerate it uh, gets a tremendous amount of bleeding. Um, he he, uh, emergently closes her up, packs it, and, and closes her up, uh, and then gets a, a a doctor, a surgeon in there to do a, um, a laparoscopic surgery in order to find the bleed and to um, and to and to close it, um, and 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 that happened around eleven o'clock that day. I should say that this surgery was back in October of twenty fifteen, um, and. And from what I could tell, it looks like that after they fixed the bleed, it it still continued to bleed or maybe it it uh, failed and continued bleed. What I what I read uh, is that she lost 8,600 cc's of blood. And I had to go look this up because I was thinking to myself, that sounds like a, a lot of blood. And from what I saw, and Katie, tell me if I'm right, but I, I saw that the average person has about 5,000 cc's of blood in them. So right. basically the blood they were putting in her was continuing to come out.
1: Correct.
3: They uh,
0: couldn't
1: put it in fast enough. Right. Right. To replace.
0: Right. Okay. So they, so they uh, performed CPR on her for, for 23 minutes. Um, and, basically are able to to save her life um after it, uh, they had to go in again for uh, further surgery she had a number of complications including a, a collapsed lung uh they her uh, wound had to stay open because of swelling um, and she uh, basically suffered a uh, an anoxic brain injury or a, a severe brain injury due to lack of oxygen And after this uh, was all done, she was left uh, with right-sided paralysis. Uh, She had a a tracheostomy. She had a feeding tube. Uh, She was non-ambulatory. She was incontinent, wheelchair-dependent, and cognitively impaired, uh, and just suffered uh, tremendous uh, injuries due to this massive amount of blood loss uh, that happened. And... um, so I'm going to stop there, uh, Katie. And I should I should mention the verdict. Uh, the verdict was thirty-five million six hundred twenty thousand nine hundred and two dollars. Uh, so obviously a, a, a tremendous verdict for just what is a very traumatic case. And I'm, I'm that's a very basic overview of the case, Katie. Tell me if I if, if, what I missed there because I'm sure I did.
1: Oh, no, you you did a tremendous job. That's that's exactly uh, what happened. That's exactly right. And um, I I do want to say that we had an amazing team. It wasn't just me. And as you guys know, as trial lawyers, you need your entire staff and everyone to come through, including all your experts. And I just can't tell you how grateful I am to have the team I have and the lawyer that referred it is amazing and um, the lawyer that was my Virginia co-counsel was amazing. So I, it was really a team effort.
0: Yeah, I, I should have mentioned that this uh, case was in, in Arlington County, Virginia. So it's basically right across the Potomac from Washington, D.C. Um, and so it was actually tried in Virginia. And one of the first questions I was going to ask you is, um, is, what is Arlington County like as a, as a venue? I have to imagine it's probably a high-income, highly educated uh, jury pool, but um, w- what is what is the juries like there?
1: Yes, you're, you're exactly right. Having, having lived in that area, you, you're exactly right. It's a lot of uh, college and advanced degree educated individuals that work in and around the government, um, and so we always have really smart, great jurors that... Um, are sophisticated and you often have lawyers. We didn't have lawyers on this particular jury, but it's not unusual to have at least one lawyer on a jury. We did have an engineer and a pilot and some other people. And so um, one of, that's one of the things that you think about when you give analogies and do your closing is to try to use examples that involve those kinds of people. But they were extremely yeah. smart, the jury was.
2: Well, and, and related to that, I'm. I'm not sure what exactly you're allowed to do in jury selection in, in Virginia, but what in a medmal case it, with that kind of um, jury pool? What are you? How do you handle that? What are you looking for? What are you trying to not yeah. have?
1: <laughs> in, in this jury pool, we had a couple physicians and a pharmacist and two nurses that we did not particularly want on the jury because we weren't sure. Um, what kind of bias they might bring uh, to it and the medicine um, is pretty complicated in this case given what happened and so we didn't want anyone to bring assumptions to it that were incorrect so we did spend some time exploring with those individuals and there were several um, that we did think would not be necessarily fair jurors for us but we were very happy with the jurors we ended up with and And I will say that they ended up bonding and it's a long trial. It's a two and a half week case. So by the time um, we were a week or so in, we could notice that they would all come in together. Some people brought snacks for the group. They would Mm -hmm. laugh. They would all go to lunch together. And at the end, after the verdict, we were able. They reached out to us, and we were able to find out they went to happy hour after the verdict to
3: talk about the case and everything.
1: (laughs) So, and then they contacted us, and we ended up meeting with them twice to answer questions. So it was very, very um, nice and rewarding.
0: Yeah, feedback. I definitely want to make sure we make a note to talk about that because I love hearing what jurors have to say after cases, uh, good and bad. I always try and yeah. tell, encourage oh, tell yeah. them, tell us where we screwed up just like, you know, the stuff you love. We want to hear both. That's um, right. But, but, um, but yeah, so I was thinking about when you said the, the happy hour, we had a case that Yvonne was involved in a few years back uh, that we tried uh, here in Chatham County. And, and um After the verdict came out, we went to a a bar to, you know, uh, (laughs) relax and, and celebrate a little bit. And, uh, what was it about half of our jurors were there, Yvonne? Were there.
2: Yeah. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, <laughs> And you could tell that they were, um, it, it was a good outcome for our clients. So we knew, we knew they didn't hate us, right. but at the same time you could just see on their faces that they had just been stuck in a courtroom with us every yeah. day for like two <laughs> weeks. Yeah. And then we show up at the first place that they go when they're right. free <laughs> accidentally. Um,
0: but yeah. All right, Yvonne, this next company that we're talking about is literally a company that has been with our firm since the beginning. And I don't think we could survive with because every time we go to trial, we always have Bob or Liz or one of the other technicians who is helping us do our trial presentations. And I'm talking, of course, about legal technology services. and You can find them at LTSAtlanta.com.
2: Yes, they do all things visual. That's their big tagline. And it's definitely true. They have saved our bacon so many times and can help you out with so many more things uh, that you might even, you know, not even think about. I mean, they can help you with demonstratives for trial. They can help you with video depositions, day in the life videos stuff for your website
0: settlement videos witness statements i mean literally it is anything technology based or as yvonne already said all things visual they are huge at helping with the demonstratives that we put in front of the jury they are friends of the firm and have just done tremendous work for us over the years so pick up the phone or get on the computer and look up bob melanie or liz at lts and you can also call them at seven seven zero five five four. One six three three. That's Legal Technology Services at LTSAtlanta.com. And
2: Steve, don't forget, we have a gift for our listeners. Oh yeah,
0: I totally told you to remind me and I totally <laughs> screwed it up. So yeah, so what I forgot to tell our listeners is that um, if you mention the Great Trials Podcast when you call in the legal technology services or write into them, uh, they will give you 10% off of your first job. So mention the podcast, Great Trials Podcast, and uh, they will give you 10% off of your first job And again, that is LTSAtlanta.com, Legal Technology Services, Uh, give them a try. So, Kate, talk about this case from uh, approaching it from a, a, a medical standpoint, because I, I I think I, you know, went pretty quickly through a lot of the facts. But as you said, this was a, a, a fairly complicated case. So talk about how you approach, you know, I guess any mm-hmm. medical malpractice case, but it's specifically this one and how you want to make sure that you can educate the jury about the medicine and make sure that they understand it.
1: Right. And I think um, that's the thing that, you, that I fear in these kinds of cases, because what you're essentially asking these jurors to do is to judge a brain surgeon, right? To judge a neurosurgeon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think one of the things the defense tries to do is build that up about how complicated it is and how experienced they are and how, you know, difficult it is so that people will feel they can't judge someone and they can't judge whether or not, they made a mistake that was below the standard of care. So that's important. And here you mentioned um, that initially we sort of had two theories, right? We had a theory that maybe the surgery shouldn't have been done. Maybe she wasn't really a candidate for the surgery. And then we had the second theory about it being done in an unsafe manner. And I will admit that we litigated this case all the way almost to trial and we hadn't found a smoking gun and we didn't feel comfortable with where the case was going. And in Virginia, unlike a lot of places, plaintiffs have one chance to do what's called non-suit a case. So you can actually essentially dismiss it for six months and then revive it. And we actually talked to the client and it was extremely difficult to do because he was taking care of his wife 24/7. But I said to him, I, I, I must tell you that I'm, I'm not there, I need to do this, I am not there, I'm not ready to try this case, I don't think we have gotten everything and there's something we're missing. So he agreed, we dismissed, we non-suited it, we failed it again, so we didn't get a trial for another year and that allows you to go back and do things over. The second time I hired a different neurosurgeon and I'll never forget this, I was in a deposition in a different case actually, And my phone, he kept texting me and texting me, and he's like, You gotta call me, you gotta call me. And I'm defending his position. And I looked at him and I said, I'll call you in an hour and a half. He's like, No, right now. And I'm thinking, (laughs) What I mean, what's happening? Why do I have to call this expert right now? So I literally take a break and go out in the hall and I call him and he is yelling. I mean, he's like, I found it, I found it, I found it. And I'm like, What? What, what are we talking about? He had gone through every image on this CT scan. Every image, there's this ORM machine that's kind of like a fancy CT that they use during the surgery. He went through literally hundreds of images and found the smoking gun. He found the image after the incident that showed a little defect that was like a chunk out of the disc that fit exactly the instrument that the surgeon was using at the time. He found (laughs) the smoking gun. And I wouldn't have had that if I didn't admit that I wasn't ready and that I didn't feel like I had enough and that there was something in my gut that told me they were hiding something, we might have lost that case
0: and you you sent us your powerpoint and i, I that was in a, the first couple of slides but you could you could see where there was a, a part of the of the spinal column uh, uh, missing and then you overlaid the instrument on it so that's what you're talking yeah. about about basically about how the how the uh iliac artery got lacerated yes. by going yes. all the way through
1: yeah the the easy way to describe it is in this surgery it's weird cuz the patient's on her belly so her belly is down and um and So what they do is go, um, they go all the way through, and here, um, what he did was it's like a shaver, so it's almost like a drill with sharp things, like a drill bit, you know, on the end, Mm -hmm. and what you do is he sticks it in and he rotates it like you would a drill to make a little cave so that he can put a spacer in to hold the discs up so that she doesn't have that pain anymore, okay? And so here, what he did was he drilled through it, but what we could see on this image, the exact trajectory and the exact size of the shaver, um, had been, the bone had been shaved, the disc part of the bone had been shaved, so otherwise you can't get through that space, right? You can't get through to where this huge artery is because, your body has a safety wall. It has what's um, called an annulus, which is a bunch of essentially really tough tissue, and so that acts as a safety. So you're not supposed to be able to go all the way through the disc to this very dangerous, huge artery. It's one of the biggest arteries in your body. Right. So he had to he had to drill yeah. through it, and so we had it. And then I was like, okay, let's roll. And then I knew we could go to trial because we had the evidence we needed.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, cuz I I I saw, you know, in the in the complaint it was alleged that whether or not the surgery was necessary uh, and then uh, and then there was an informed consent uh part to it as well. Uh, how much of a role did those two issues play in the trial, or was it mainly about just going basically going through the entire column and in and in engaging the uh the iliac artery
1: so we made a decision as you do a lot of times as trial lawyers, which one which horse we wanted to ride and I am really of the opinion that simple is best. And if you try to chase too many rabbits, you catch none. So um, we go with our best theory. And here, given the smoking gun, it was clear to me that the technical error was the best theory. And so um, in discovery, we refer to the disc area as the safety zone. And there are articles that talk about it like that. And so what our safety rule was is that you can never go beyond the safety zone with an instrument. Um, and if you do that's negligence and so we tried to make it very clear and very simple um, and that that was that his act was unsafe because each instrument has measurements they're either colored or they're markings so that you know how far in you go so you never go beyond the diameter of the disc because you shouldn't ever need to go beyond the safety zone. so that's how we explained it to the jury and then we had what we consider to
0: be the smoking gun. So I have to ask, because I saw it in your PowerPoint that um, you had a demonstrative that included a carrot, uh, and a banana, and an apple. And yes. then and from what I could tell, it looked like you were using the apple was the, uh, was the, the spinal column, the banana maybe was the, uh, the uh, annulus, and then the, uh, the carrot was the artery. And yes. there was that. Oh, okay. I guess. Yes. Right.
1: <laughs> yes. So my co-counsel has
0: very young children.
1: Um, so I have to give him credit because he came up with that because the defense, their uh, theory in the case was that she had had a prior surgery and that she had a bunch of scar tissue. Now the prior surgery wasn't exactly in this location and it was coming in from the other side, but that was, that was their, that was their theory. So, um, they claimed that all of those tissues, that the disc and the annulus and the artery basically had melted into one. So if you think about it like I've got a sweater on, if you think that I have a sweater, I can just take one string and pull it and it would pull the whole sweater apart, right? Mm -hmm. So their idea was he wasn't anywhere near violating the safety zone. He just saw a little piece of disc material in there and he went in to pick it out, and when he picked it out, there was scar tissue, and that scar tissue was connected all the way to the um, iliac artery, and that that's how this happened. And there was no way for him to anticipate that, and it's just all her scar tissue. Okay. So the way we used the apple, the banana, and the orange was to show people that while things can be adhered, and things can be smushed together, it doesn't mean that they are one, right? It doesn't change the fact that they're separate entities and separate um, parts of your body. It just means they're pushed together. And we did get feedback from, because we thought, wow, are we simplifying this too much? I mean, this is a very serious case, you know, and are they going to think we're treating them like third graders? We didn't have anyone Mm -hmm. on the jury that had less than a college education, and I'd say three-quarters of them had graduate level degrees, um, but they loved it, and, and they told us that afterwards. They said it was good to lighten it up, but it actually helped them understand that the skins on all those things stayed intact, that you couldn't just grab something from one and pull all the way through to the third. Right. So, it was really helpful.
2: I, um, I'm obsessed with this whole PowerPoint. I think it's I like that that like one of my notes for questions to ask you. It just says obsessed with closing PowerPoint. Um, well, because I think the I think that visual, but the entire PowerPoint is extremely effective.
1: Thank you. Um, I know you guys talk about using um, using. An IT person or somebody in a hot seat, and I don't. I don't go anywhere without my hot seat guy. I mean, yeah. and he and I have worked so much together that I. I don't even need to say the number of the exhibit. He knows exactly what I'm doing, and so we stayed up till like three o'clock in the morning putting this closing together um, in our hotel, which was across from the courthouse where we live. <laughs> and um, he's so fabulous because together we can put this. You know. We just sort of know how to work together and yeah. it, it, it works out.
2: So, Yeah. It's just great. It's really clear. I, I really love that. Um, it's hard to describe for listeners who can't see it, but I really love how you used the sort of the green checks and, and the, the red axis to sort of say, to, to make it very visual, you can see it in just a second where testimony is consistent. And when testimony by different, um, you know, like defense, testifiers and experts, is all over the place.
1: So, and we did that a lot. I didn't give you all our demonstrators from trial, but we probably have 50. Um, I am of the school of thought um, of, it's really how people make decisions and strategically how you sequence a case is so important. And one of the things that we all know, even from driving, is that you remember shapes and symbols way more than you remember words, right? Lawyers right. are weird because we love words, but the rest of the world is, is normal. Um, so you have, to, yeah. you have to kind of talk to normal people. Um, and so all those reds and greens are really important. And then just showing them the balance, you know, they don't even have to get into the details, but they see where the issues are and where the gaps are. And those are really important I think, to put together for people, because my theory in closing is you're arming the jurors that are leaning towards you for the discussions they're going to have in that back room, and you're giving them information and facts so that they can persuade the others. And so that's what I think my job is, and I want to make sure that I give them the data, and we have super smart jurors, so if you give them the data, they will help you.
0: Yeah, I, 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 Yvonne, what you were talking about, I, I noticed, because I, I love doing the, uh, the same thing that um, what, what Katie did here, which was is taking, you know, all the defense experts and including the defendant doctor and then just showing how they disagree with each other. And, uh, and I thought it was interesting, your defendant doctor, I mean, you were saying that one of their theories is that the, because the scar tissue, everything was stuck together. It, it looks like your defendant doctor didn't agree with that.
1: Correct. Correct. So the good news is, I think that you know um, they hadn't maybe formulated that whole melting theory at the point where he was he was deposed. So um, so that worked out for us because he 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 said um, that it wasn't true um, for other reasons because he was actually arguing with us about whether the surgery was indicated. So you know so for those reasons it ended up helping us. They also had. I will say, um, two very, very uh, distinguished um, experts. They had the chair of spine surgery at Duke and the chair of spine surgery at Johns Hopkins. And those were their two standard of care experts. So, um, but we don't really, um, in general, we don't depose uh, the experts in Virginia, well, I don't do it anywhere actually, um, on their opinions. In Virginia, they have to sign a very, very detailed report that provides you with all their opinions. So I take a 30-minute deposition with what I call gets, and I go in and get the things that I need to cross-examine them before they have any idea why I would be asking those questions. And it takes a lot of time to get ready, but I literally say, I want half an hour or I want 45 minutes from this expert. That's it. I, I do it on videotape. Um, and I only ask the things I need to ask. So here the jury did share with us afterwards um, that one of the experts was happened to be president of the Neurosurgical Association when he was testifying. And he commented on direct, even though we tried to keep it out, that he wasn't keeping the money, that he was donating the money back to Duke. And we thought that might really hurt us. And um, so when I crossed him, Um, Oh, I I should say that I love Pat Malone's book about cross-examination. I recommend that to all people. I think it's really good. Um, So when I crossed him, I knew I couldn't really cross him on the medicine because, you know, you can't cross a neurosurgeon on the medicine. So what I crossed him on was his bias and how he had never testified for a a plaintiff ever and uh, that he basically was testifying for members. And he slipped on cross and said, members of the club. And that I mean
2: oh cringe <laughs> yeah
1: and then the other guy from uh hopkins was great because he wouldn't tell me how much he earned testifying he wouldn't say it so i said could it be 50 could it be five hundred thousand? he's like i just don't know and so the jury of course thought that was crazy and yeah. outrageous and I know he did that because in Maryland, you can only have, earn a percent, certain percentage of your income from testifying or you wouldn't be qualified. So I think that's why he didn't want to tell me. Right. But, um, you know, the jury really didn't believe them because they came across as, you know, completely biased for the... Oh, yeah. Um. so...
2: Yeah. Yeah. We've had Steve, I'm trying to think of what case it was, but like, you'll come across the experts who say that they just don't keep track.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And like, it's never credible. Like, yeah. I mean, right.
1: You- right. Because everybody knows generally what their own income is. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 So just those little things and there's a lot of good pointers like that, I think in, um, Pat Mullen's book. I think it's excellent for those things because it sort of teaches you there's like three or four strategies of how to cross. And so you don't have to cross these guys on the medicine. You're not going to be able to win that, you
0: know? No. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I'll, I'll just add another little story. I had a case where I had a, a psychiatrist uh, who was testifying for the defense on the stand and, and she had come from Macon to Savannah everybody, it's a, it's a straight shot on I-16, everybody knows that it takes about two to two and a half hours to drive from Macon to Savannah. Okay. And so I, I just happened to ask her on Cross, I said, what'd you charge for, you know, driving to Savannah? And she said, I charged four hours. And I was like, I looked at her, I was like, you charge four hours for driving to Savannah? And that, that one question just undermined everything else she had to say. Because, yeah. I'm, yeah. Nobody's that true,
1: I really think it's not a good idea in most circumstances to to depose them because they're just letting them practice and then they get better and then when you see them at trial they're better and a lot of times for us i don 't know if this is true for you guys, but the lawyer for the defense that's going to end up trying the case he or she might not be the one doing all the discovery right and they may yeah. kind of swoop in at the end and try to learn the case and if they don't have depots to learn it from. I think you know you're you're
0: at an advantage. So. I, you know I, I love that idea. In Georgia, we don't have reports, so we've got to. I mean, if you really want to learn their opinions, you gotta you gotta take their deposition. No. Yeah. But <laughs> I I love that idea of just going and getting the the key points and just you know keeping it short and sweet and right to the point and then getting out of there.
1: Yeah. So we spend hours and hours figuring out how to craft the questions. And then I have them usually on, um, note cards. And so I, I mix them all up. So I don't do them in any kind of order. And they're, they're worded very much on purpose, either using like phrases from a jury instruction or there's, there's very much thought gone into each specific question and, and you do it fast rapid fire all mixed up and they can they really, they really can't, uh, can't keep up and they don't and and so you get a lot of honest answers and I also make sure like an imaging case like this to take an image to show it to them to make them sign it and point out something that I think is helpful so that I can use that to cross another expert so it's all integrated and thought out and and it's really really very helpful and I would recommend that people think about doing that if
2: that is awesome. Those are such good ideas. I also can't stop thinking about how terrifying it would be to get deposed by you <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> with those flashcards. Like. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't have anything to hide,
0: but I'm just Do you, saying. Uh, do you uh, wing them at them like David Letterman after you're done with them? I <laughs> kind of
2: do hold them up. And then I, and I
1: also make sure I have my nurse with me at those. Um, or sometimes I have an expert on the phone because huh. you're allowed to do that. And if you're only doing it for half an hour, why wouldn't you right, right? because yeah. then if you get some crazy answer that you don't you know understand you can take a break go out in the hall figure it out and maybe come in with a better question you know right. so i i think that's the other thing that's worth it and then it doesn't take anybody long to read those depots either you know
0: so yvonne one thing i've learned in this business is that you can't go get a great trial verdict to be talked about on the great trials podcast unless you get the case in the first place. And that's why we're talking about digitallawmarketing.com. It's Digital Law Marketing. They are a great company that does website design, SEO, social media marketing, content marketing, and everything you need to market your firm online.
2: Yeah, I mean, think about it. The first time that you hear about whether it's a lawyer or a law firm or a business or a doctor, what do people do now? You look them up you just you you Google them and so your website has to look good your content has to be good and that's what digital law marketing can help you with
0: yeah and they make sure that you can be found too because you can have a great looking website but people type into Google and you don't come up at all they will help with that as well and the thing that I really like about digital law marketing is that they don't go out and market for your competitors so if you get them for your area, they won't go across the street and go advertise for a competitor or law firm.
2: They also have such a fantastic team. They, When I made partner at the firm, they sent me flowers, which was so nice and such a personal touch. Um, they do our firm's website and for better or worse, it's very easy to find me in my headshot that I hate <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because they're so good at what they do.
0: Exactly. And, and you know, the thing. Uh, another thing I like about them is they're, they're extremely responsive, as you said, like if you ask them to do something, they will get it done that day and they don't overpromise. They won't tell you things just because they think you want to hear it, which without mentioning names I've heard from some other website marketing companies and digital law marketing will not do that.
2: Yes, they're so, awesome.
0: So call uh, Digital Law Marketing. You can call them at 877-916-0644 or you can look them up at digitallawmarketing.com. Again, that's digitallawmarketing.com.
2: And tell them we sent you.
0: That is one of the, you know, frustrating things about getting ready for trial, especially sometimes, you know, we'll have uh, other lawyers work up cases and then we'll come in and try it and sometimes you'll see like a 500-page deposition and you're like, "I got to get through here and figure out what this guy's opinions are. <laughs>
1: right. You know, um, I think it actually takes a lot more work and thought to think it through and to do a very simple deposition, but to only ask the key gets takes a lot more work. And then you're a lot happier afterwards, because your transcript is half an hour, you know, and your yeah. experts mm-hmm. only have to read half an hour. So all that multiplies, you know, if, if you have a 10 hour deposition, your experts are going to read that and bill you for that, mm-hmm. you know, that's right. So it's a lot of work ahead of time, but I think it's the way to goes.
0: Well, it certainly worked in this case. So, uh, um, you know, I I, I, I think it uh, sounds like a great idea, and I I, I love the idea of it. So, um, well, um, I, I, I wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit more about. Um, about your experts in this case. And, and I know you, you, you talked about the expert who sort of found, you know, what happened, but how, how, you know, overall, I guess we can make this two parts. How did your experts do? And then as far as the, the family, as far as your client, Nancy, uh, you who, Mm. who, how did, how did you present them to the jury and did, uh, did she come into the courtroom or did her husband testify and you just talk us through that
1: yeah so I'll start with the experts so um, we had two neurosurgeons and uh, the one that found it and and then we had a neuroradiologist um, and then we had some um, a vascular surgeon and he had written articles about how this type of complication occurs and he had studied charts and he's at Harvard Dr. Brewster and so he was able to say, based on his retrospective um, review of hundreds of charts, you know that this only occurs with the negligence. So I think that was really powerful. Um, the neurosurgeons and my neuroradiologist, this, this trial was in the fall and they both couldn't come live to trial and we didn't know that. And I really, really have never put on key experts um, by video and i was very nervous and i was just didn't want that to happen but i had no choice so we ended up flying up to where they were um each one and we did i took a special um i interviewed and found uh some court reporters and videographers that do that picture within a picture Mm -hmm. yeah and so we did a lot of practice with that and and then my hot seat guy has a screen in the courtroom that is just huge. I, I don't really know. I think it's like 10 by 10 or something. And so when we played it, it was actually, it went quite well. And, and, and it looked like the person was there. In fact, they were sort of larger than life. So it wasn't bad. So I was pretty, pretty happy with that. Um, even though I wouldn't want to do it on purpose, but the other, I thought my experts um, all did very well and they all stayed very consistent. The, funny story that I have that this has never happened to me, but I was the night before my neurosurgeon who was coming live had to come. um, We tried to get experts that are very, very consistent and close to the practice of the defendant, you know? So these were um, surgeons in private practice, not academic guys, but real boots on the ground guys that do spine surgery every day. So my spine surgeon from California said to me, Katie, I'm going to come on the red eye. Right. From California. I'm like, no, 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 no. You got to come the night before. And yeah. yeah. I'll have a heart attack. You, you, No, no, no. I do it all the time. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I can sleep. I'm like, no, I'm going to lose my mind. So long story short, he talked me into it. So I'm, I go to sleep. It's 12 o'clock, I guess. My phone rings in the hotel room. I sit up like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I answer the phone. He's like, you're going to kill me. Now, I have adult children, so I said, first of all, who is this? You know, I'm like, I, I don't know who this is. He's like, this is Michael. I'm like, why am I going to kill you? Why aren't you on the airplane? He's like, I'm at the airport, and I forgot my driver's license.
3: I'm like, oh my
1: what? God. You know? <laughs> so, you know, we have this discussion. Long story short, he has that, um, there's clear, right, where he can right, go through right. with his finger. So, he got, so he got through. Um, so... <laughs> I did not sleep one wink because all the time we figured out it'd be unclear. Oh and it'd go through the air. I was like, the adrenaline was like, forget it. I I can't go back. So yeah, that's yeah. my Yeah. That, so he got uh, there.
2: He got there. and geez, it's fine. I, I mean, um, I've, I've been there. I, I've, I've been, I've been there in terms of, I lost my ID while visiting California oh. and then had, and I was like, how am I going to get home? Cause I couldn't even get a new ID. Yeah. Um, and It's you- just interesting. They like didn't, I had a picture of my driver's license on my phone and TSA did not want to see that no, pictures of anything they don't care about. They ended up being like a business card, um, like a prescription bottle with my name on it. Huh. Little things like that, that had my name on it, that were like physical things that they thought were like pretty reliable. Huh? Yeah. They didn't want to see a picture of my driver's license. I was like, are you sure it's, yeah. it looks exactly like <laughs> me. Like, <laughs> but I did get through. Um, so there are ways to do it, but it's not ideal. And it involves a very thorough pat down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm
1: sure.
3: <laughs> you don't, yeah. You
2: don't want
1: to have that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But anyway, so he got
1: here and I think he really did a great job. And one of the things that I asked him on breath is tell me what you were doing yesterday. And he's like, I did two of these surgeries yesterday. So no. it was kind of nice because he was boots on the ground, did a lot of this, you know, trained at Hopkins. Um, and I think he just came across as a real guy telling the truth. And yeah. one, one of the other struggles here is when, when everything's from the back, all the imaging is the reverse. So you have to be careful to make sure the jury's understanding left from right, left from right, left from right. And one of the things that the defense did that we caught was they didn't actually use imaging. They used like pictures of imaging in a PowerPoint and they had covered up kind of um, which image it was, which series and which shot. And so we had to approach the bench and have them uh, reveal that. And then I made a motion to strike it because it was actually the improper location and the judge didn't strike it. But um, the jury told us afterwards that they knew why I was doing that, and they thought the judge should have stricken the stricken the evidence, which was just fascinating that they could get all that. Yeah, yeah, really. What was happening? Oh, I forgot to tell you, this was this judge's first trial ever.
0: Oh, wow. You mean, uh, like, the, this is a new judge? <laughs> yeah, she just got sworn in. Mm-hmm. We, and being first trial ever, had, had they been a trial lawyer? Or? She was a lawyer okay, and she okay. was a
1: trial lawyer, um, but she did uh, other kinds of work. So, <laughs>
2: but she was fantastic. She did, a, I mean, she did a great job. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, so that was
1: a little, a little crazy about this case too. I
2: So I meant to ask you, I can't, it, um, oh, because you mentioned how your expert had done two of these procedures, the, basically the the previous day, how is how is this procedure like if it's done well how is it supposed to go like what's the recovery supposed to be like
1: right okay so actually this is one of the most um, this approach is not as popular as some other approaches but having this surgery to have disc material removed and a little spacer put in is one of the most popular surgeries in the whole country so this, this particular complication is extremely rare, but it's something they all have to watch out for because it's deadly, right? So mm-hmm. most people would have this procedure. They would go home the next day. Okay. And they would start walking and start physical therapy and, and do quite well. Um, so this is not a particularly risky surgery. She was she had no strange other medical conditions. She was not obese, you know, nothing like that. So, um, and you guys asked me about her. Oh, um. So I think another reason why the jury decided to compensate this family um, with this number is because of the husband. He was also, he's also a CIA agent and the love that he had for his wife and what he was doing for her now came through louder than anything. I mean, he's just this devoted, wonderful person. And he's hired this amazing caretaker that comes to his house and she, um, she's taken for swimming, she's taken for choir lessons, she's taken for therapeutic horseback riding, which takes like four people to hold her on a horse. I mean, he has done more than I, I, I have said this to him, and I would say this to anybody that if this happened to my husband, I hope I could be half, half as devoted as he is. I mean, yeah, unbelievable. So we did have to make the decision about like a day in the life or something. And I have done day in the life before, but I don't particularly like that because I feel like it can be kind of staged or look a little staged. And I know that you have to be super careful about, you know, bringing people into the courtroom as well. So what we decided is to interview the caretaker on the stand in detail about what she does every day. Nancy, because of her brain injury um, can actually, she doesn't have a lot of filter. So one of the scary things is she sometimes shouts out, she sometimes randomly shouts swear words so we were a little nervous but we decided um to just have her come in to meet the jury and and to hope that that um would would go okay so we just had her husband wheel her in and the lawyer that had referred the case to me was he watched the entire trial because it was his neighbor and he knew them very well and she knew him very well so he was sitting in the front row so her husband just wheeled her in and um, I said to her, Nancy, can you say hi to Joe? And she's like, hey, Joe. So she actually did recognize him and said hi to him. And so then we kind of wheeled her out. And that was, a, you know, I, I really wanted them to meet her. To meet her um, but I didn't want to put on anything that people would think was disrespectful or, you know. Um, but I thought that was a good, warm moment. And you don't need more of you know, um, yeah. I think between the husband and the caretaker was just—I mean, she was so real, and she clearly loved Nancy and did so much. She explained all the physical things she had to do, and so we got it in. And then the defense did not cross-examine either the life care planner or the economist at all, and the jury did comment on that. So I like, think the jury felt um, that uh, they there was nothing to dispute because there was no cross on those. So.
2: Got it. I we've done day in the life videos a lot, but I um, and I, I feel like in part, but I, I could see it being really effective to instead of that have the caretaker just describe everything in detail. I mean, I usually think about it as as something visual being more um, helpful, you know. F- but I could. I could also see it being very powerful to leave them to sort of picture what's being described.
1: Yeah, I think you have to have the right caretaker. You know, here, he had one caretaker. She works five days a week. She knows your client. You know, she's delightful. She clearly had love for this client. That works. You know, you've got to go to the house. You've got to see all that stuff. You've got to know how they live. (laughs) That can work. There are definitely situations where you want to do the opposite, right? If you've got a young child, you know, if you've got a, a, a brain damn, you know, a brain injured baby or something and you need to show that. I, I've done it the other way too. I think the other way can be effective as well. I just in this instance, you know, that was that was the route we thought might be better. But I mean. I think, you know, I understand. And I think there's other ways to do it. We've done it with little children where we get the judge's permission and we may have the pediatric neurologist kind of interview the child or do a game with the child in the jury room that's filmed so that the child is not right in front of the jury. So that's another option that we've um, been quite successful with so that they can get a sense of what's going on and the limitations without the child having to be in front of the jury. Mm-hmm. So Very cool. lots of cool ways you can
2: do it. Yeah. And you um, you mentioned, uh, just while we're talking about what you do for the jury, you mentioned that in addition to pow- your PowerPoint, all the different demonstratives you had. Yeah. we talk about on this show all the time, do you use the old school boards? Do you use the electronic? Do you use a mix?
1: So I am in favor of a mix, but I definitely think the boards are important. And if you read sort of, again, decision-making and some of the, um, med-lit- or the literature in that area, um, people when you only put up a PowerPoint and then it goes away, it goes away in people's minds too. Um, Whereas the boards, actually, we were all still, we're all still old enough. And this may not be true after, you know, after uh, what we're going through now as a country, because we may not, we may all not see boards, blackboards anymore, but everybody on the jury is old enough to know about blackboards and writing and all those things. And so I think it stays better in their minds. If, if you use a lot of real demonstratives and you have them in the courtroom. So we had the shaver, for example. We had a full-size skeleton that we could put. My neurosurgeon actually literally took the skeleton and put it on a table and then showed with, this, with the um, shaver how it went through and the trajectory. You know? So those are the kinds of things. Words are not going to stick in your mind mm-hmm. as much as watching that happen. So, oh, yeah. you know, those things, and, and I think those are really important, and it's important for us to do multimedia because mm-hmm. people learn in different ways, and the more ways they see it, something's going to stick. We also always take pictures of every witness. My nurse does with her iPhone, and so we have them in the outfit they were in that day, and that's also something we often put into a PowerPoint at the end, um, depending on the kind of case and how many witnesses there were, so that people can connect again that Person's name with what they look like if they said something important. So it's another thing that's a good hint. Yeah. I'm a yeah. CLE really yeah. junkie. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think those are all uh, great ideas on on what to do. And I, I will tell you on. Uh, it, I mean, for I, I love boards. I love uh, doing animations. I love doing uh, you know powerpoints. But um, you know, on cross examination, my my favorite is still just a flip chart. And I, I like. Yeah write down what they're saying as they're saying it, because uh, it just really brings it home to, uh, to the jury. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Well, um, I, w- I wanted to ask you, I noticed, and in, in I think this goes with part of their defense, but you, you have in your PowerPoint the issue of whether or not uh, a wrong level surgery is okay. Was that because of their defense that they were arguing that there was a the scar tissue, but the scar tissue was at a different level than where the surgery was being done?
1: Um, no, so that there are two. So I knew um, from doing my homework on their two standard care experts. I had other depots from other cases where they had been experts where they had defended neurosurgeons who operated on the wrong level. Now, okay. so what I used that for is to show the jury that they might be pro-defendant because no layperson thinks it's right. okay to operate on the wrong level, and right. both these guys had defended doctors who did that. So again, a way of showing bias to discredit these really um, sort of designer experts who had amazing looking credentials and experience, um, the way to sort of attack them.
0: Yeah. No, I, I mean, that's probably, I mean, you're exactly right. It, it's, uh, um, I mean, to, to think that you might go in for a surgery on your spinal cord and the doctor might operate on the wrong level and then that's somehow okay. No juror is going to be okay with that, that I can imagine.
1: Yeah. The guy, I think what also helped is I asked the guy from Duke in his little 30 minute depot. Um, he just, he had a lot of confidence. Um, and he was in his white coat, you know, and I asked him, um, because I'm always very polite. I can be firm, but I'm very polite with them. I keep the teacher role. And I said to him, so did you see this defect? Because if you think about it, there's no wrong answer from our point of view, right? right. He's either going to say yes, at which point he never put it in his report, or he's going to say no and look dumb because now we know it's there, right? right. So I opened up my depot of him and I said, did you know that this defect was there? And he said, of course I did. Well, how come it's not in your report? If you're a neutral expert, right? I just didn't think it was relevant. Okay, yes, so, exactly. you
3: know.
1: <laughs> right. So
2: that's the kind of thing. Like if you just noodle around and think through those things ahead of time, you can mm-hmm. come up with. I mean, well, and was that was that the same expert um, who like left out that imaging from like his file yeah. or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's no good. So, yeah. Not good.
1: <laughs> Not good. Doesn't look good.
0: Uh, Yvonne, tell our listeners what kind of lawyers we are.
2: Oh, man. We are, well, we're plaintiff's lawyers. We're trial. Yeah.
0: yeah. We are plaintiff's lawyers. And plaintiff's lawyers only get paid when what happens?
2: When you get a good outcome for your client, either settlement or trial.
0: That's right. When you close the case, as, uh, as our friend Alec Baldwin says, always be closing. That's when you get paid. <laughs> and the best thing that can help you get paid is a good case management system. And so we are talking about Casepacer.com. That's Casepacer.com. It is a case management system that is cloud-based, designed by personal injury lawyers for personal injury law firms.
2: Yeah, and Steve, one of the things that's really cool about it is that it's case-based pricing instead of the number of users. So the expense makes sense for the size of case and the complexity of the case that you have, but as many people as you need to can use it.
0: Right. So if you're doing something like a mass tort litigation where you might have lawyers from all over the country helping out on it, all of them can access case pacer without increasing the price of using it it helps you move your cases forward they have secure anywhere anytime access and then what I thought was really cool is this discovery app that they have on their system
2: yeah for our lawyer listeners you and your staff spend a lot of time dealing with your clients getting information from them getting documents from them and case pacer has this app that will actually help you with intake and with getting documents from potential and current clients
0: yeah, so it makes it really easy to handle, uh, especially a large number of cases, and it's cloud-based. I hear people say that all the time. I don't really know what it means. It just means that it's uh, some sort of uh, magic is going on out there, but it's based in the cloud.
2: Cloud-based is good. You can get online or you can use the app to access your case management info from any time, anywhere.
0: We encourage our listeners to check out casepacer.com. You can also call them at 317-218-4715. That's casepacer.com.
2: And tell them that we sent you because this podcast runs on caffeine and help from our sponsors.
0: Well, uh, let's talk a, a little bit about damages. Uh, and, and you know, I mean, so uh, as I want to remind our listeners, this was a uh, over $35 million verdict. Um, I saw from your, your, um, presentation that the past medical bills were a little bit over 800000 The lost future income was about 600, a little bit over 600000 And then the present value of the medical needs, I think were uh, somewhere between eight and nine million. Correct. Um, giving, you, giving you a little bit over nine or, a, 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 you know, of, of special damages or of what we call blackboard damages. Right. So... Um, Talk about how you got the jury to 35 million.
1: <laughs> um, well, so I never asked for a number because I felt like, um, I mean, so I could see jurors crying when I was giving closing. So I, I really didn't want to insult them. And I had no idea what they would be willing to give us. Um, so the argument I made was um really based on what Mr. Herbie said in his direct testimony, which is that all he wanted at this point was for Nancy to be happy and safe. And so I went through the pain she has every day from contractions. She knows that she's brain damaged um, and she sometimes fights when anyone tries to change her diaper and we had that explained that it's because she's embarrassed. And so I kind of went through some of the things that she has to go through now versus being a CIA agent and going to Chernobyl. Right. And someone who speaks five languages. And um, so we just did that. And, and um, I said to them, I said, I trust you. I know that you'll compensate her. We just want you to be fair. And um, that's what I said. And we, so you should know that there's a cap Mm -hmm. in, Virginia that the jury's not told about. Okay. So it's one of the reasons why they're able to try these kinds of cases because there's a cap. So, um,
0: on oh, non-economic <laughs> pain and suffering.
1: No, there's a total cap
0: of 2.2. Oh, oh, wow. wow. You are kidding me. So no matter what the injuries no. are, it's 2.2. 2.
1: So, so the reason, um, so when the jury came back and awarded this number, um, it's the largest, verdict they've ever had in Virginia. And um, the jury went to happy hour and they Googled it and found out that there was a cap and they were angry. Yeah. And so that's why they contacted us. And they have since then offered to help in terms of trying to urge the legislature to do something because here in, in, in Virginia, she had to pay back. She was a federal employee. She had to pay back that lien.
0: Right. so that 800
1: and... Uh, now, we did get it reduced significantly, but yeah. um, you're talking about, I mean, that's just, that is not justice.
0: I mean, th- this is the, uh, uh, I mean, uh, this is exactly the case on why caps on damages do not work and, exactly. uh, and are unfair. Exactly. Um,
2: Oh, that's awful. I just got total chills. Well, were you able to talk to the jury at all? You know, because when they made their award, they did not know it was capped. Were you able to talk to them about um, how they thought about pain and suffering damages?
1: Yes. So what they decided is they gave us, um, you know, the meds, the past wages and the life care plan. And then they looked at the fact that they thought um, she how long she had to live. And then they, so that's why they tacked on, like it ends up being another, I think it's like um, 25 million, I think for pain and suffering is what they came up with because they figured she had about 25 more years to live and that for being in that condition and knowing that she was in that condition and being humiliated that they felt that that was a fair number. So I thought that was pretty, pretty good.
2: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I'm just thinking about this cap. I mean, you know, we, we were, uh, uh, you know, thankful in Georgia that we were able to get caps overturned. But I mean, yes, you know, an over eight million dollar life care plan. I mean, that's what this woman needs to, you know, get by. Uh, and, right. and the legislature has just uh, unilaterally decided they're never going to give somebody enough that they can get by no matter what happens to them.
1: Well, now, I think there's hope now because the legislature has turned over in Virginia. So knock on some wood, you know, I think the issue yeah. will come up. And, you know, this is definitely an example of something that I think um, will be will be allowed to use to say, look, because of what we all know is it's cases like this, where if the wrongdoer doesn't pay, we're all paying.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. That's because right. she right.
1: needs the care. Yeah. So it's not that's not Right. So, yeah.
0: Um, I want to hear a little bit more about Nancy. You, so you, oh. so she was a CIA agent. She spoke five languages and she had spent uh, time in uh, Moscow or Chernobyl. Where, where, in Chernobyl, where, Chernobyl yeah. Chernobyl. Wow.
1: And she spoke Russian was one of the languages she spoke. <laughs> she loved to sing in the choir at church. And so they still have her come and do singing, um, singing therapy now. It's not not singing in the choir. But, um, and she she loves going to baseball games. They go to baseball games, and her husband takes her to parks and, and does all sorts of amazing things with her on the weekend. Um, and so he is giving her the best possible life he could. And, but one of the things they needed the money for is because she can't go upstairs. So, so for the three years until we went to trial, um, she was li- she's living in their dining room in a hospital bed. So, you know, when I made that decision to say, I can't go to trial yet, I gotta, I gotta look at this case again. Um, I knew that that meant another year for him of taking care of her mm-hmm. in that dining room. But I, my gut told me that we, you know, we we just weren't there. We had missed something, or we there's something we had to find before I could, you know, go in there and 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 win for her. So,
2: wow! I mean, and <laughs> thank goodness! What a what! So in Georgia, we have that too. We have a renewal statute. Oh, you, you did! Oh. yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> Okay, because yeah. usually I talk
1: to, you know, in D.C.
2: and Maryland, we don't
1: have that. <laughs> right, right.
2: <laughs> yeah, we do, although I think in the cases I've been on, it's usually – we don't use it a lot. I think the, the only time I can think of is, like, maybe if you get a case that's very good, but very close to – like, really close to the statute, but um, you want to help the clients. Um, that's – I, I can't
0: I can, yeah, it's, – It's happened a couple of times when you uh, – um, um, you know, one, you might get a case in from somebody else and maybe it didn't, uh, not everything's been done on it that needs to be, and you just need more time. Yeah. Uh, there, I, I do know of examples. I've never personally done it, but um, you can do it all the way up until you seat the jury. So I've had lawyers who, once they did, you know, got into jury selection, saw what their, their veneer looked like went ahead and dismissed the case, uh, oh, because I wow. thought it was going to be so bad. Um, and there are, there are some counties, I'm sure you're, you're, I mean, there are, there are counties everywhere, but there are, there are counties in Georgia where it can be very, very difficult, um, you know, in, in, in cases, especially medical malpractice cases. Yeah. Um, well, but, and thank,
2: um, thank goodness that, um, um, Mr. Hervey was, you know, because that had to have been a hard decision for him, both a hard thing for you to talk to him about, but also a hard decision for him. But thank goodness he had that trust in you, obviously, to to, to do that, to, to take the dismissal and, and wait that extra time.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, we became, I think, really, really close friends because he, you know, he's been through so much and yeah. he basically does this alone, you know, and... Um, so there's nobody that i admire more than mr Herbie. i mean yeah
3: he's yeah. amazing
1: and um he's you know he just does it with such a positive spin to it he sends pictures and he's just I, i've never met anyone like him
0: yeah i mean it sounds like an amazing man in and in an amazing couple um and just a, just a terrible tragedy. Um, well, um, I want to remind everybody that we've been talking about the case of Hervey versus Virginia neurosurgeons, uh, which was tried in Arlington County uh, in July. I should I don't know if I said this beginning in July of 2019. So this is fairly recent, and it was a 35 million six hundred twenty thousand nine hundred two dollar. Uh, verdict uh, on behalf of the the Herveys. Um, Katie, I just wanted to ask you, uh, we had, we've we talked a lot about the case. Is there anything you want to make sure that our listeners know about this trial uh, that we haven't talked about?
1: Um, I think the other thing that I would say that we did um, was the, the defense tried to say, they tried to really lean on technology and say, well, we had this they tried to equate this O-ARM imaging navigation system to GPS and tried to rely on science and say there's no way that the surgeon could have made this error because they had all this fancy equipment. And so I think one of the things, we had to come up with an answer to that. And I think one of the things that they told us afterwards that worked is I, I said in closing, you can have GPS. We all have GPS, right? We all have navigation systems. But the GPS tells you where to turn and how to get to the location. It doesn't prevent you from hitting the car in front of you. Mm -hmm. And I think if you use analogies like that and you relate it back to people's real lives, then they can make the choice to make a judgment as to whether someone violated a safety rule. And I think you have to keep bringing it back. You can't let the defense... um, force you to fight in, in, in areas that are really not relevant. And that's what they did. They tried to, you know, to make it like, oh, how are you guys going to judge this? You know? Right.
2: Well, and what's better, I think Steve basically lives for taking a, a defense analogy or a demonstrative and then using it for himself. That's so right. <laughs> What's better
0: than that? That is one of the more fun things in trial, I'll say.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And we did, we had several. We had an engineer, we had a pilot. And so I tried to really use analogies that they would, you know, that they would understand and examples that, you know, in in the uh, rebuttal, we said, you can't cheat physics. You know, this is the trajectory. And knowing that we have a pilot and an engineer and that the exact size was measured. And so, you know, I think we tried everything we could do to really make sure that we were giving examples that these jurors, these specific jurors could really.
0: Well, and, and I, I guess I'm wondering about this defense because I mean, everybody agreed the iliac artery was lacerated and that that was the cause of her injury. Right. Right. So, so and they, they were basically just saying because of this, her uh, different anatomy that yep. that's why this happened.
1: Yeah, so they're blaming it on her. They're saying that everything was adhesed or stuck together and so that he didn't go outside of the safety zone of the disc. He went in and picked up a piece of bone fragment at the very end of the surgery. And when he just pulled on it to take it out, that everything was connected and that that scar tissue pulled on other scar tissue that then pulled on the artery and then it pulled a hole in the artery. So it's like, you know, you taking taking your thumb off the hole in the, in the, in the uh, wall and everything just coming through it. I mean, Mm. so the string on the sweater was their analogy and, and ours was like, no, they these are different structures.
3: Right.
2: Medicine, apple, apple, banana, carrot.
0: Yeah, that's exactly. right. Yeah. You're not going to get, carrot. you're not going to get the carrot by going into the apple. I mean, everybody knows what
1: happen. And <laughs> I also lucked out because I, on cross asked their Duke guy what it was like. What's that stuff like in the middle there of the nucleus, you know? And he said, crab meat. And as a person from Maryland. Yes, you know, Absolutely. Crab meat is stringy, but it's individual. It's not, it's not hooked together like a scar, right? Right. It's not one rope. So we had crab meat in our, in our PowerPoint at the end. Um, So it was very, you know, seafood related. uh, (laughs) Right. Go go with what you can. So, yes, I think the (laughs) apple uh, carrot thing was, ended up being very just helpful to the logic and just to encourage people to use their common sense.
0: You know yes yeah absolutely and and it's easy to remember and it's something easy for when they're in the jury room talking about what happened you can always come back right. to that I mean yeah. and
1: the the last thing I would say is that one of the other surgeons on cross said that he never talked to this surgeon about what happened and I those are what we call yeah. you know if you were, if you're a mark Mandel fan I can't get over it facts and I think those kinds of things people pick up on. It right. doesn't make any sense, right? A, a surgeon and a patient have the most devastating complication that can ever be recognized, and you don't ask him what happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it just doesn't ring true. And then, and if, and if it really is true that you never talk to him, it just looks like you completely don't care. Right. Yeah! Wow. Well, uh, well, Katie, fantastic work. Uh, uh, it's been really just a, a great conversation, great, uh, interview. And, and, uh, I want to congratulate you and, and, um, and I hope your clients are uh, getting some measure of, of, uh, of, of comfort from the, the verdict. And I'm sorry to hear about the, the caps. Uh, you know, it's just, this is the exact case when why uh, caps on damages, uh, you know, uh, make no sense. Yeah. Um, Thank but uh, yeah, and and I want to I want to remind everybody that we've been talking to Katie Bertram. She's the founding partner of the Bertram Law Group in Washington D.C. And if you want to look up Katie, you can look her up at blg-dc.com. That's blg-dc.com. Katie, thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you. It was an honor to be on this show. Thank you. <laughs>
0: thank you. The honor is all ours. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. We really enjoy it. Thank you so much, and uh, And again, uh, thank you for uh, just coming on. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? Thank you for listening to the Great Trials Podcast. You can visit us online at greattrialspodcast.com. We realize in the show that sometimes we use terminology that not everybody would be familiar with or that uh, we haven't uh, always explained every part of the jury trial process. So we've done two special shows, one on legal terminology, and Yvonne, that's gonna be hopefully not that boring. Uh, we, we, we've uh, included a number of people in that so that uh, we can make that more entertaining, and a show on the jury trial process. And we've also put uh, links to uh, those episodes on our greattrialspodcast.com, as well as a uh, glossary of the legal terminology on the uh, website
2: yeah so check those out if you have a trial you would like to be featured on the great trials podcast or if you're a trial lawyer and you want to be on the show or if you're just a person who has something that you want to say to us please email us at info at great dot com Note, if you have something mean to say, we don't have email. <laughs> right, exactly.
0: <laughs> we only need uh, positive commentary. Yeah,
2: we're fragile. Yeah. Um, you can also rate or review us uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever. Again, if you have something mean to say, um, our podcast is not available for review. We,
0: we also want to thank uh, the people behind the scenes. Uh, one is Taras Mischer who is our uh, uh, podcast extraordinaire. Uh, he is from Podcast on the Go and Allison Hirsch uh, from Capricorn Communications. She is a magician when it comes to putting these shows together and getting them scheduled. And this has been the Great Trials Podcast and we appreciate your time and hope you'll listen again.
2: Thank you for listening.